Hello again. Thanks for joining us. This is Space Nuts. My name is Andrew Dunkley. Coming up, we're going to look at the Death Star. Yes, we've gone from science to science fiction. No, not really. But there is a moon that looks like the Death Star from Star Wars, and it's now in the news for a very different reason, because it's not blowing up planets, but it's blowing up scientific minds. Uh, we'll also be looking at the potential for bacteria to have survived the rigours of uh, life on Mars and what that could mean for future expeditions to the planet by humans. All coming up on this edition of Space Nuts. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9, ignition sequence start. Space Nuts. 5, 4, 3, and joining me to unravel all of that is Professor Fred Watson, astronomer at large. Hello, Fred. Hello, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm good. You're not so flash at the moment. I feel a bit, <laughs> bit under the weather. Under the weather, yeah, from all different directions, which is, anyway, that's all right. We, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We're kindred spirits at the moment because we've both been mysteriously bitten by insects that have yep. left an impact. Yeah. But yours is worse than mine. Yours sounds nasty. Um, it may take me to hospital today to get intravenous antibiotics, which... Wow. Yeah, that's that's big time stuff, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Forget the pills I've been taking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people uh, ask me about Australia and how dangerous it is because of all the snakes and the spiders and the box jellyfish and the drop bears and all those things. But uh, it's the insects are more likely to get you. They're, well, yeah. <laughs> and I have to say, um, yeah, you get the old mozzie bite, um, which can be annoying and itchy for a while. Um, we've got actually some cream that Marty found that uh, you put it on. Uh, I think it's homegrown in Australia. And you immediately... Uh, reek of the ashes of a wood fire, <laughs> and it sends the mozzies away. Oh, is <laughs> that right? Like wood fire ashes, they probably think, "Oh, oh the smoke there—that's a bit dangerous." Must get yeah. away. So it does work. Um, that's a that's a clever one. It is a clever one. Yeah, it's very clever. I, when I was a you... when I was a kid, I used to stay at my grandmother's place, and she used to always, in summer, put a mosquito coil on the floor yeah. next to the bed. Yeah, and to yeah. keep them away. And uh, uh, that's uh, right. The, yeah, um, uh, yes, we, we we use those if we've got a dinner party outside or something. Yeah, like that away. Uh, yep, probably wasn't the greatest idea in the world to have this little thing smouldering away in a bedroom. But anyway, no, <laughs> just passive smoking. That's what it is. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the white-tailed spider, which I, you yeah, earlier on yeah. suspecting might be what's got me. Mm. Uh, and is that the one that causes ulcers? Yeah, yeah. Ne necrolet necrolytic. Uh, yeah, the the, 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 the flesh-eating thing. The flesh flies. flies. Yeah. They've been studying that, and I think it's been debunked. But yeah, um, it might it might be an opportunist bacteria that follows the bite that could cause that. So yeah. Maybe not the spider that causes that flesh-eating problem, but um, a bacteria that comes in later. But yeah, yeah there have been cases of it in Australia. Uh, and and white-tailed spiders, sadly, very common in homes. I don't know that I've ever seen one actually in my yeah. forty how many forty-two years of living in Australia. Oh gosh, I've seen gazillions of them out here. I assume I assume they've got a white tail. 
they've got a white tip on the on the back of the abdomen. Yeah. Um, and they, their their body is sort of elongated. They're not they're yeah. not traditionally round spiders. They're more that shape, long and thin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you don't really want to tangle with one of those. Mm. I can if, if that's what I had, I can vouch for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I got I got bitten I got bitten on the arm at golf, and I never felt it, and I never knew it was there until I saw it saw it that night, and it had all blown up. But uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, enough of, enough of our sad stories. Not let's the jolly stuff. <laughs> let's get <laughs> on to the serious stuff. Let's do that. Now, um, the Death Star is is famous in Star Wars because uh, it it was a um, um, a moon sized space station designed to destroy planets, and there is uh, a Death Star in our solar system, uh, at least in uh, terms of what it looks like, and it's a moon that you mentioned, uh, Mimas or Mimas. Uh, and the reason they call it the Death Star is because it's got an, a collision point on it, an impact point on it that look, makes it look very Death Star-like. But it's in the news now for a very different reason. Fred, what's going on here? Uh, it is, yeah. So that that um, Death Star dent in it, uh, which is very spectacular because it's perfectly symmetrical, mm. is, of course, an impact crater, as you said. And I, I'm, unfortunately, I can't remember what it's called, uh, but I'm sure you'll find it very quickly on <laughs> On the interweb. Um, the story, though, is a surprise, and it comes from some work, uh, I think, if I remember rightly, it's by French scientists. Uh, I can't find, the, can't find the reference at the moment, but we will shortly. Um, and what, um, what they've done is something that's pretty standard in, uh, in astronomy, in planetary science. Uh, they've looked at the... Libration or libration, depending on whether it's Mimas or Mimas. A lot of people call it libration. We were taught libration, uh, which is the nodding from side to side of a moon around a planet uh, whose normal position is to face the planet. So the, our moon does this. Our mm. moon uh, is perpetually facing the Earth, but it actually... Uh, librates or librates, it nods slightly from side to side, just enough to make it, I think it means we see 60% of its surface rather than just 50%. It's a number something like that. Okay. But this this libration, um, uh, if you study it carefully, uh, will tell you things about the internal makeup of, uh, of whatever moon it is you're talking about. Uh, because... And, it, and this is particularly the case. This is how the oceans of of Titan, uh, of uh, Enceladus, of Europa, uh, and of uh, the other one. Ganymede? <laughs> yes, Ganymede, that's right. Oh, gosh, that, maybe it's brain fog. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that's what basically alerted them. Because if you've got a global ocean underneath a covering of ice, which is what these worlds have, and the global ocean sits on top, of uh, a rocky ball, a rocky world. Uh, what it means is that the surface that you see is is decoupled from the solid mass of the of the the, the moon itself, hmm. and so the moon librates, or librates or whatever, uh, nods from side to side, uh, but the surface doesn't exactly match it, and it kind of follows it slightly. Um, 
so like, so like a lag effect. Yes, that's right. So when you so when you look at the uh, when you look at the surface, you know what the libration should be, but you don't see it on the surface. You see something different. You see it's a wobble that is different from what you know that moon itself is doing, and that reveals that uh, you've got this thing. You know, the icy surface is floating on top of a, a, a liquid ocean. It is astonishing science. I have to say, this sort of thing blows me away, Andrew, um, because uh, it's, it needs very, very careful observations. But um, it, it was perhaps most spectacularly uh, found with uh, Saturn's moon Titan uh, because people realized um, when they mapped the surface of Titan with the radar on board the Cassini mission, Titan's got a, an opaque atmosphere, so you can't see down to the surface, or at least not very clearly. When they mapped it, they could see that um, they measured the latitude of, and longitude of various features on it, but they could see that they were changing. <laughs> and, you know, on Earth, your latitude and longitude don't change. Uh, they always stay the same. Yeah. Uh, if you neglect continental drift, so they do change over very, very long periods of time. But um, on Titan, they change on a, I can't remember what the orbital period of Titan is. I think it's around a, a month. I can't remember. Uh, anyway, somebody will tell us. Uh, it's, um, it, it, so that, um, it, that's what betrays. It's a smoking gun for an ocean. And sure enough, uh, it, that has been discovered on Mimas. Now, it turns out that the measurements that were made uh, of, uh, of Mimas's rotation uh, Basically, when they when the teams um, did the analysis, uh, what they discovered was that there were two possible causes for this phenomenon, uh, and one of them was a, a, a rocky core, no ocean. One solution was no ocean, but a rocky core that is elongated, rather than being oh. perfectly spherical, an elongated uh, rocky core. Okay. Uh, I should I, I should mention well before I forget, uh, Dr. Valérie Laini of Observatoire de Paris, a uh, place which is always worth a visit. Uh, they have uh, they have done this work. He, he's led the team that's done the work. Um, so the uh, they had to sort out whether this thing was due to an elongated core or due to an ocean, and what they did was uh, looked at other irregularities in the orbit. I've got the wrong page open at the moment because there's quite a lot on the on the web about this. Let me just... Mm. Let me just I, I, um, I did some research on that impact point. I think it's called Herschel. It is. It's Herschel. Yep. That's correct. Okay. Uh, yeah. So um, I'm just trying to... It would be nice to be able to uh, show why they could eliminate... The rocky core theory. Yeah. Mm. So, so they did more work on the rocky core theory, and it turned out that the only way that it could fit the observations was if it was yes elongated, but also flat like a pancake. Uh. <laughs> and, and and things don't don't appear like that. Mimas is very spherical. Uh, for it to have a pancake shaped core in the middle is extremely unlikely. Mm. Uh, and so they are um they're pretty keen uh, that yes they've discovered the ocean on Mimas which is absolutely fantastic news because uh Mimas is pretty small um 
Uh, Enceladus, yeah, Enceladus is 500 kilometers. Mimas is nearly 400. So it's not that much smaller than Enceladus, which we know, of course, has a sub sub ice ocean because we've seen the geysers that the that uh, come through the ice uh, with Cassini. Cassini's actually flown through them, so we know what they're made of as well. Now the puzzle, the remaining puzzle to this uh, story, Andrew, because we always cover the remaining puzzle on space knots, is uh, Enceladus and Mimas, apart from one being slightly bigger than the other, uh, are totally different in their surface structure. Because as we've already mentioned, uh, Mimas has lots and lots of craters, not just Herschel. Herschel's the biggest one by far. Uh, it's got lots and lots of craters. Uh, and that speaks of an ancient surface. So uh, unlike Enceladus, which is almost perfectly smooth, it's got cracks in the surface, and that's where the geysers yeah. spew out. But it's virtually no, you know, two or three craters. It's, it's very, very uncratered. Uh, so the scientists have taken that information and looked again at details in, of the orbit of Mimas, in relation to the other moons of Saturn. And they've evolved a theory uh, that in includes the interaction of these bodies gravitationally with one another. And what they think they've discovered uh, is that uh, the, the various orbital resonances, if I can put it that way, things where one planet goes around in the same time twice as the other goes around three times, that sort of thing, these are what we call resonances. Those resonances may well have uh, a history that tells you that something happened maybe only a few million years ago uh, to change the dynamics of Mimas. Um, I can't remember what the number was that they said. Uh, it's, it is, uh, it's uh, only it's a matter of a few million years that this, this um, um, uh, ocean must have been there. Uh, and so it's a recent phenomenon and probably caused by gravitational tugging by the other moons and by Saturn itself, which has heated the core of Mimas and heated it to the level that the ice that's in contact with it has actually melted. Uh, ah. So it's really, really clever stuff. Um, and that also neatly explains why we've got this ancient cratered surface uh, because it hasn't started spewing out geysers of of material yet. Uh, it's it's still a young ocean, uh, and I think um, that's a very exciting discovery. Um, I can't. I, I'm sorry, I can't locate the uh, the age that they think the ocean is, but it is uh, just a few. I think just a few million years, maybe even less than two million years. It's a very very recent one geologically. Of yeah, uh, I, I suppose if it's only a recent ocean development that reduces the chances of Mimas being a candidate for life beneath the surface? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, I, th I think that's true. Uh, although, um, you know, we don't know how long life takes to form. I mean, by that, I mean kind of rudimentary mm. life. If the, if the core of Mimas is heated up enough, then you'll get these black smokers that we get at the, on the floor of our Earth's oceans. And we think from evidence that came from Cassini that they are present on, on Enceladus. They could have kicked in pretty soon after the melting. Uh, yeah. So maybe we've had, you know, the, the, the chemical, excuse me, the chemical ingredients for life and enough heat input caused gravitationally uh, by gravitational heating that we, we, we might, you know, we might have life 
sparking off there as well. Mm. Um, it, it's interesting because now we're finding, you know, this is another um, ocean moon and yeah. it looks like Jupiter and Saturn do share this quality. Uh, and, and, yeah, there's a whole bunch of them now. It's, there's all sorts of possibilities and uh, it's going to be very tempting uh, for scientists to send more and more missions out there to see yeah. if they can find life. I know Europa Clip is heading out That's pretty right. soon, um, but I doubt that that'll be the last one. And Juice, um, Juice is on its way. Oh, yes. Isn't it? That's right, it Juice, is too. Uh, forgot about Juice that. Ice moon. It's moon. Mm. Um, it's thought too that um, uh, uh, it's Neptune's moon, I think, isn't it? Yes, Neptune's moon Triton may also uh, be an ocean world. So, wow. you know, it's, uh, and, and actually, even further out, it's thought that Pluto is too. And I have seen a paper that suggested that Pluto's moon Charon might be as well. So, you know, ten a penny, these things <laughs> yes. are everywhere, which is astounding. Um, as you, you know, because um, we've talked about it before, on Europa, uh, the amount of water that's underneath the surface uh, is about twice the all the water in the ocean, uh, oceans of the Earth. It's mm. phenomenal stuff. Uh, such a different picture of the solar system from what we had back in the day uh, when I first started learning about astronomy. It's incredible yeah. stuff. Well, I remember the, the the books we used to read at school, and they were very. You know, it was very basic. You know, yeah. They didn't talk about the moons of the planets well, so much beyond Earth because it just wasn't it, considered. Yeah. There were just darts of light in the telescopes of the yeah. time, certainly in the books I read. Uh, so they talked about their orbits and things like that, but never about their their um, morphology, the shape of them. And what changed that, of course, were the Pioneer missions. Uh, Pioneer yeah. 10 and 11 uh, flew past Jupiter and Saturn, I think. I can't remember. Uh, and they revealed what a rich tapestry of of structure we've got out there in the deep solar system and that of course spurned the um or spawned the not spurned spawned the um voyager missions which just really hit the nail on the head in in regard to this sort of science fabulous yes indeed mm. all right if you'd like to read up on that story it's on the space.com website but uh, there are there are several stories about it floating around online so you can pretty well find it anywhere through a google search or whatever search engine you use. This is Space Nuts. Andrew Dunkley here with Professor Fred Watson. Let's take a short break from the show to tell you about our sponsor, NordVPN. And I've spoken to you many times about a virtual private network and the benefits that it gives. And I do personally use NordVPN. And yes, I did pay for it, just in case you're wondering. A few people might ask. No one has, but you might. But yes, I did pay for it. I got the two-year plan uh, with all the bells and whistles. So uh, I've got everything that comes with that service. And that uh, includes the virtual private network. Uh, my favorite part, which I've told you before, is the password protection system, uh, which stores all your passwords and your usernames and all the information in one handy location. So you only have to remember one password. I particularly love that. Uh, one of the other tools in there, though, is the next generation file encryption. Now, this this one sort of works in the background, uh, and it does a really fabulous job. Um, it basically generates ciphers and cryptography algorithms to keep your files 
uh, your identity data, your digital signatures safe on your device uh, and uh, on the cloud. Uh, the other thing I like about NordVPN is it works on everything. It works on Windows, it works on Mac, it works on Linux, it works on uh, Android and Apple devices, it works on Windows, uh, it works on Firefox, uh, basically any browser system you've got, um, you can uh, load the um, uh, NordVPN system into the browser proper. And so it's always working away in the background. Of course, VPN services are fabulous for um, public Wi-Fi and any situation you find yourself in where uh, there are lots and lots of people around using uh, Wi-Fi. You just never know when somebody will be there to try and you know, hack your systems and take your personal data, whether they're stealing your identity or stealing your money, it could be both. Um, but the, the deals that are getting done on the dark web to create fake identities using your information uh, is just out of control at the moment. And you can protect yourself simply by uh, getting a virtual private network, and there is no better than NordVPN. They've got a birthday offer on at the moment too, by the way. Uh, they'll give you an extra four months. And if you buy uh, one of the plans on the two-year deal, you'll get uh, an Uber Eats voucher as well by the look of it. So it's a pretty good deal. In fact, it's a great deal. And I, uh, I certainly do endorse their product. It's the best in the business and they guarantee high speeds from all their servers. You won't lose anything in the translation. Uh, the URL you need for this, and don't forget their 30-day money-back guarantee, is nordvpn.com slash spacenuts. It's an exclusive deal for you as a Space Nuts listener, nordvpn.com slash spacenuts. Once you get in there, click on Get the Deal and have a read through all the products and the plans and see what works for you. nordvpn.com slash spacenuts. Now, back to the show. Space Nuts. Now, Fred, let's move on to the next story, and uh, Mars is in the news yet again. I, I actually, um, just as a sideline point, read uh, this morning, I think, that uh, they're going to try and do a flutter test on the Ingenuity helicopter. Uh, to what end, I don't uh, yeah. know, because last yeah. time we spoke about it, it was end of mission. Yeah. And now, now they're going to try and um, they'll do something with it. I don't know what that will achieve. I think it's about... Um... Uh, sort of stressing the bits to their limits and see what it you know what it can cope with ah. uh, um, in terms of uh, the, the you know the physical structure of it just to do tests that will reveal uh, a bit more about how ingenuity has coped on Mars. I mean, there's another fantastic story, isn't there? Even death it continues to deliver. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Now, but the other story that's come up about Mars is uh, in regard to bacterial life potentially, and if uh, and they, I think they've done some tests that prove bacteria could survive in that environment, and of course that brings up question marks about sending humans to a planet that may have bacterial life. So there's there's a lot of uh, interest in this particular issue. I, I would imagine. Yeah, that's right. Um, the the paper, the the research paper, in which this work is published, 
uh, is entitled Survival of Environment-Derived Opportunistic Bacterial Pathogens to Martian Conditions. Is there a concern <laughs> for human missions to Mars? So the last sentence is the, is the bit that's uh, the important bit. Um, so what uh, this team has done, and uh, there's quite a long list of authors, uh, they're described in uh, our good old org. Uh, website as an international team of radiation specialists, biologists, and infectious disease experts have found four types of bacteria that are capable of surviving exposure to the hostile Mars environment. Uh, this was published in Astrobiology, which is the right journal for uh, for publishing it. And so they've they've uh, essentially taken four human infectious bacteria and basically. Uh, expose them to Mars-like conditions. And I think the only one that you can't simulate on Earth is the one-third gravity. You can do the radiation, pressure, temperature, all of those you can simulate. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you can't sim simulate the low gravity. But you would imagine that as far as bacteria are concerned, low gravity is not really that much of a problem. Um, it's uh, it's going to probably enhance their survivability rather than rather than uh, reduce it. So um, what they've done is uh, they've taken these bacteria, which are known to be capable of surviving in really, really difficult environments, the things we call extremophiles and love extremes. Uh, mm. And they've, uh, especially ones that, ex you know, that are fine with high amounts of radiation or salt, uh, poisons. Uh, there's one lot of bacteria that live cheerfully in this toxic lake. I uh, can't remember. I think it's South America. Extreme temperatures um, and almost no water. Uh, I, I haven't seen it on the list, but my favourite of these is uh, what is it called? I'm going to get it wrong. On tonight. I think it's. Uh, I think it's. Uh, it's yes. It's. Uh, uh, I think it might be Dinococcus radio. Durans, uh, which can withstand three times the lethal dose, sorry, 3,000 times the lethal dose of gamma radiation for humans. Wow. So what would wipe out a human? They can survive 3,000 times. Um, yeah. Well, we, we, we see it all the time in medicine because bacteria can build resistance against yeah. antibiotics. So, oh, oh. And, and that's a poison. <laughs> that's a poison to them. Yeah. And, and you know, we're reaching a point where we've got to come up with new ways of dealing with bacteria because some of the antibiotics are, have been rendered practically useless. So it's a, it's a similar situation, I suppose. You're, you're touching um, the, what concerns me today with that infected <laughs> insect. Yes, sorry. Because, uh, no, that's all right. It's just such um, a classic example of... Um, Mm. survivable bacteria because uh, the antibiotics that I've taken so far don't seem to have had any effect whatsoever. Uh, so I'm going to have to go to Mars, I think, Andrew, to get rid of this uh, yeah. spider bite. Oh, uh, or, so, you, or you might pick up something else. That's it. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what this story is about, of course. Um, yeah, I can't pronounce the names of the bacteria because I'm not a biologist, um, but um, radiodurans is not one of them. Um I, uh, I actually, uh, I've got a cheat here. I drew a cartoon of that in um, Space War. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, just... <laughs> All right. Yeah, why not? 
a bit of catholic wear your cartoons when you need them oh uh, of course <laughs> but usually it in the sen- usually in the middle of the sunday papers <laughs> well they are normally but i tended to put some in uh, in a book um should be i, I bet you drew them yourself too fred i did draw these myself yes because i I enjoy I enjoy drawing. Well, I do want to get the time. I never seem to get the time these days. Where yeah. is it? Come on, come on. You're around here somewhere, I know, because I wrote the damn book. Uh, here we are, <laughs> 228. <laughs> so it's a conversation, and it's at micro, at micro school. And, and I've drawn the microbes as they appear uh, in, um, in, you know, um, electron microscope images. Yeah, uh, and the little one says, "Hi, I'm Streptococcus mitis. Who are you?" And he says, "Yeah, I was right, Dinococcus radiodurans." So Streptococcus says, "What do you do?" And radiodurans says, "I live inside a nuclear reactor. I love a bath of acid or being in space. I can survive thousands of times the lethal dose of radiation for humans. What about you?" Oh, I don't mind hot tea. And I once lived on the moon. Whoa! Because that's the bacteria that they found on the Apollo 12 mission. Um, yeah. Streptococcus mitis. They're the only two I know because they're probably, they are probably um, uh, extremophiles of the classic kind. Anyway, I've rambled on enough about this. The bottom line is uh, these, uh, many, these four bacteria actually um, survived all the tests that they did. Uh, yeah. Three survive for 21 days, and one uh, see, seeming to multiply and thrive. Wow. Uh, and so the, the conclusion of the team is that bacteria carried inadvertently to Mars could pose a health risk to astronauts, particularly if the bacteria mutated to help them better survive the half condi- harsh conditions. That's a direct quote from FIS.org. And, yeah. Which they uh, yeah. which they tend to do. Viruses do it. Bacteria does it. Uh, yeah. There are even yeah. some creatures that can survive in space, which we've spoken about before, which are the tardigrades. Tardigrades, yes, that's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and, and I suppose that really underlines what life is all about. It's yeah. It, it, it's it's about surviving, finding do, ways to survive. Darwin and uh, evolution. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 Adapt and overcome. So. Um, yeah, that, that's a really interesting problem that they're going to have to deal with. Um, I suppose they'll have to take a lot of Glen 20 with them. I mean, <laughs> that's probably the answer. Um, well, they do already because um, every spacecraft that goes to Mars has to go through, what's it called? Uh, it's, uh, is it stage four planetary protection rules? Yeah. About, I wrote about that in here as well, but I can't be bothered. Uh, so, so they disinfect everything. That that writes Mars off for me because I can't stand the smell of Glen Twenty and for, you know having to suck that stuff up through my nose for three months. No chance. I'm it's done. More like, more like eighteen months, Andrew. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. No. Oh. You know. See, I was just assuming I'd be on the fast track, but anyway. That's... Well, yes, yes, you probably would be actually. <laughs> You never know. Uh, So, um, yes, the safety of astronauts on Mars because of uh, potential bacteria survival and then adapting to the situation could pose a risk. Uh, And if you want to read about that, it's uh, in the phys.org. It's an article on phys.org, which is a fabulous website if you um, want to read all these space science stories. uh, They do do a fantastic job. Uh, That 
wraps it up, Fred. Um, just a reminder too, uh, if you want to listen to Space Nuts Q&A, that will be coming up on Monday. It'll get downloaded to your uh, respective uh, platforms uh, automatically if you're subscribed to us. And if you're a follower on YouTube, don't forget to hit the subscribe button below. Uh, thanks, Fred. We will catch up with you real, real soon. Fred Watson, astronomer at large, and he joins us every week on Space Nuts. And I hope you'll join us again very, very soon. We'll catch you then. From me, Andrew Dunkley, bye-bye. Space Nuts. You'll be listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favourite podcast player. You can also stream on demand at Bytes.com. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.